ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Dying Time is here. That's right, we are still talking Bride of Chucky on Kill by Kill. Well, greetings and salutations, Internet. It's your old pal, Patrick Hamilton, coming to you once again from somewhere in between New York State and New Jersey. This is the Kill by Kill podcast, where we are dedicated to celebrating the least discussed component of any horror film, and that is the characters. We're going to unpack all the goriest of details from 1998's Bride of Chucky in the hopes that a newlywed's untimely end is just the beginning of the jokes that we can make at their expense. And as always, there is only one person that I trust that if I am going to try to Seduce another couple in a Niagara Falls uh, no-tell motel that she's going to swipe that wallet when no one's looking. The one, the only, Gina Radcliffe. How are you doing today, Gina? You know, people throw the word masterpiece around a little too casually. <laughs> but but I, yeah. I split uh-huh. this into two viewings. I watched the first half for the first half, and I watched the second half tonight. And, and when sure. the movie ended, I just sort of... You know that that gif of Robert Redford where it like slowly zooms in. He just kind of like <laughs> smiles and yeah. nods knowingly. That that's kind of me at the uh-huh. end of this movie. You gave it the old Jeremiah Johnson treatment. I <laughs> did indeed. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I really can. I mean, this has been a joy. <laughs> it really has. Not that I didn't enjoy Friday the Thirteenth and, and A Nightmare on Elm Street. It's just that you know. Some of the entries weren't as hot as others. It can get a little stifling, but man, I, you know, even if you just divorced it from the rest of what I consider a very stellar franchise, Bride of Chucky is a damn good time. It really is, and it's a, you know, I say that without irony. It's not a so bad, it's good. No, it's it's actually good. Yes, it, it, it aims for the stars, and by God, I think it actually hits them. Gina... I don't want to alarm you, but we are not alone. That's right. We have a special guest. Uh, He is the co-founder and editor-in-chief of Consequence of Sound. And, of course, he's the co-host of such podcasts as The Losers Club and Halloweenies. He's the one, the only, Michael Rothman. How are you doing today, Michael? Good, good. How are you doing? It is such a pleasure to have you here. I'm doing great, and I'm happy you're along for the ride. I've been a longtime listener to you, particularly in the Losers Club, because I'm a very oh. big Stephen King fan, so I've heard your voice many, many times, and I would love to say I'm a fan of Halloweenies, but I can't listen to other people talk about these movies, mm-hmm. because I've seen them too often. It took us two and a half years <laughs> to get through the uh, Friday the 13th franchise, and sometimes I don't ever want to see them again. Yeah. No, I, I hear <laughs> no. you. Uh, honestly, the, the two of you go so in-depth with the movies that, um, I, I mean, I was blown away by it because we thought we were in-depth. Uh, the first episode for Halloweenies, I think, was chalked, uh, is that four and a half hours? I think it clocked into. Um, <laughs> and we're like, well, we covered it all. And and then I you know, I, I go, uh, like, I'm scanning through all your titles, and I'm like, holy shit, they go really deep um, into these episodes. And, like, I think it's so smart that you split a lot of them, too, because – Looking back, when we covered so many of the other films, especially like when you get to that first one in the franchise, when you just go all yeah. in on the history and everything and the lore and the mythology and your first impressions, et cetera, it, 
I mean, two hours of that is right there alone, just in the context. And then you all of a sudden get into the actual meat, the meat and the nitty gritty of the movie. And you're like, oh, wait, now we're at three hours. Oh, my God, what are we doing? Um, so and I agree with you. I, there have definitely been situations where I because I, I, I listen to a, a number and a plethora of uh, a horror podcasts. And I do try to skip the ones that we've covered, too, just because it's like it, it does feel almost like Groundhog Day. Um, yeah you know i just feel like I, there's a conversation happening that i should naturally be a part of i'm mm-hmm. like i'm not here to participate i'm here to enjoy their perspective on it yeah although i must say i, I did dip my toe recently uh if, into horror queers for their coverage of the nightmare on elm street uh remake yeah just so i could hear someone else complain about it <laughs> mm-hmm. still feel we're right gina i still feel we we nailed it on the head and and I agree with all the points made in that podcast as well. Yeah, that that's actually one I had to skip too because we actually had uh, Trace on our uh, our episode um, for the remake in November. <laughs> so I actually I felt bad for him because I was like, oh my god, I cannot believe you're doing this again. Literally, only <laughs> I think maybe a half a year later. But um, they also had to redo um, uh, Nightmare Two. But I think that movie is really underrated and phenomenal. Oh. So I I had, yeah. and I so I think that was like a good one to to revisit. But oh, that remake is it's tough it's a snorpalooza for me oh man it is um, so so brown yeah so brown yeah Uh, but we're not here to talk about uh, a terrible uh uh, you know revival of a horror franchise we're here to talk about a really excellent one and bride of chucky so michael we have you know quick tradition here we always like to hear where our guests first encountered the film we're talking about so where did you first catch Bride of Chucky. So I'm from South Florida, um, <laughs> and I am uh, God. I'm 36 this year. So I was about 14 years old when this movie came out, and the late 90s were a very interesting time because, um, and this is you know pre Columbine, so they weren't that strict with the rated R, but they still were pretty strict with rated R movies uh, in, in in theaters. And I vividly remember. Um, after Scream in 96, like I had already been into like really into horror movies and such, but once Scream came out, it kind of like, um, solidified any notions I had about why I love like horror. Right. You know? Yeah. So I was like, Oh God, like, all right, so this is a revival that's happening. And so 98 felt like such a peak year because like Halloween H2O happened like, you know, like August 5th, like of that year. And then literally like that, I think, I, I think I even found out about like Bride of Chucky because of the trailer that was attached to Halloween H2O. And I was like, Oh my God, this is such a fun year. Like all, <laughs> I mean, two like total Titans of horror are back. And I remember opening night, I me and my friends had, had to sneak in um, at AMC Coal Ridge in Fort Lauderdale um, because they just, I mean, obviously we weren't able to buy tickets and we were only 14 and, I just remember it being one of the most enjoyable experiences uh, of that era because everyone was just having a blast. And I don't think anyone expected to have that much fun. And even revisiting it for the podcast, because I I honestly haven't seen this in over 10 years. And I just forgot how well done it is. I mean, just in terms of execution, because it was right before it started getting crazy into CGI. And so you still had a lot of great animatronics. And then in terms of the mix of like horror and comedy, like, it it's so good and like the camp is right on uh, like right on target and so i I had i I mean seeing for the first time i loved it i think i saw it and snuck into a a bunch of times and then when it finally hit it like you know 
HBO or Blockbuster. I think I rented it like a, a number of times, but um, I, I love this movie. I had the movie Maniacs toys for it. Uh, <laughs> I, um, I, I, I just was was totally blown away by it. And one of the one of the better uh, '90s uh, sequels, especially that I think has that still stands up for me. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of this one. We count ourselves in that too. Um, we uh, really enjoyed the first half, but let's dig in to uh bride of chucky once again uh let's let's do this the way we usually do all right let's find out who's still left alive at this point in the movie let's do a quick body count first we have jesse he's young he's dumb and he's the owner of two cum gutters <laughs> next there's jade who has decided uh that uh, to just throw caution to the wind in two major ways one run away with Jesse with only $500 in his pocket, and two, wear an ascot like she's Fred from fucking Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and then there's David, the gay friend who's only concerned with making sure your heterosexual needs are met for some fucking reason. And of course, uh, in, in, in the in-between-alive-and-dead category, we have Chucky and Tiffany, who are two grown adults who have made terrible choices in their lives and are now condemned one another to the living hell of being trapped inside a doll's body. But don't get too worried about them, because in about 20 minutes from now, we're going to be talking about both of them fucking. So that's where we find ourselves. Uh, we left uh, Jesse and Jade uh, just in the aftermath of needle nose being blown up in in his car thanks to chucky and the two of them immediately give each other a look that i think we can all relate to is the person i'm in love with the murderer so gina have you ever looked at your significant and thought you know i bet you that guy blew up someone in a car once yeah, now this is the the kind of the, the only part of the movie that doesn't work for me it, mm -hmm. it's they they start suspecting each other mostly because the plot demands that they should Yes. And and there's yeah. just no there's 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 you know no reason for them to even think that the other one would be a serial killer. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's it's weird because they they aren't really that apart. You know, there's there's not enough like time for him to be like, all right, well I'm leaving. For him to be like, all right, well I I literally like massacred two people next door. It just doesn't. There isn't that 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 uh that time lapse for it yeah. to be earned. So I agree. Yeah, it does feel like plot armor in a weird way. It probably would have helped if she had not dropped that bag of that, which appears to be filled with Lay's potato chips and Lay's <laughs> potato chips only. Uh, yeah, that would have given her a bit of an alibi. But I also think they're heavily influenced by the young woman who uh, appears to be wearing her dad's flannel, <laughs> who points at both of them and said, "It's them. They're the murderers," and they immediately run. Yeah. Uh, right after, right after uh, Neil Nose's car blows up, she points. She goes, "She goes, there they are." And I'm like, I'm yeah. like "There who are?" <laughs> <laughs> There's like 30 people in this scene. Like, how do they like single them out like that easily? It's, it, that, that that felt very convenient. Um, I, I just I think that lady looks at that ascot and goes, "That is the <laughs> neckwear of a murderer." Yeah. No, no sane person would walk out of doors wearing something like that. Yeah, and there it's also like, wow, look at those two ridiculously gorgeous people um, that look like they walk that they they look like two leads in a movie. They must be up to something, you know, no good. Um, look at all the cameras pointed in their direction. Yeah. You had to have done something, right? Right. Yeah. This is the aftermath of cops on our society. So we get into a conversation between Jesse and Jade where they subtly and then not so subtly ask one another. So 
why did you murder that guy? And their conversation ends up uh, sending Chucky and Tiffany into a massive giggle fit. And I honest, I don't blame them. Yeah. <laughs> it is very weird, their conversation of dancing around whether or not you got into, you know, you're fleeing from the scene of a crime with the person who committed the crime. Mm-hmm. And, and their just denials make them think, oh, it has to be you. It's like, don't believe that girl in the flannel. She doesn't know everything. She's not the boss of you. Yeah, and, and what's also strange is that this is literally like preceding them deciding that they need to get married. Yeah, and she just she just <laughs> like, looks like she's about what? to like just just explosively vomit all over the place when 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 she's I, I don't know I don't know the, the person running officiating that marriage. What is he doing marrying these people when she looks like she's being held at gunpoint? <laughs> I know. I mean, maybe they're used to that because it's like, you know, roadside marriage. But it it seemed a little bit like there had to be some sort of questions. And it's not I don't feel like it was campy enough where you could kind of get away without having some sort of weird, awkward question. You know, like if this is a little more farcical, I think you could kind of put that under the rug. But like it is a little suspicious. But I mean, maybe they were trying to be like they're like, oh, you know, here we got Bunny and Clyde here. So let's just get them through the doors. (laughs) <laughs> that and the entire media it leaps to the idea that they're they're twosome that's just cutting through cops mm-hmm. left and right. I mean, it is a tad suspicious that three out of the four dead bodies, because no one is going to find that what that one in the trunk. The three out of the four first dead bodies are cops. Yeah, <laughs> this movie really has it out for cops. Well, it's weird too because they don't know. I mean, obviously they know that the cop car exploded, but they still haven't really found out like the whole situation with Warren and everything where he's in the car. Yeah. So you, uh, one of the questions I had is like, would you run like in this situation? Like the cop car explodes. I mean, I guess the only reason why they had the flannel, uh, you know, character point out it's them is to get them to run because like for me, like this car explodes. I'm probably not running, you know, <laughs> with all these witnesses. It, it just seems like that would be like the bad choice to do. Well, I don't think they are good uh, in the moment reactors. No, and that seems to play out throughout the majority of the movie up until the fight, you know, just about the end when they finally make a plan in motion. You're like, oh, OK, you're thinking, feeling human being. But before that, they're they're very attractive mannequins who continually make the dumbest moves possible, yeah. which, uh, you know, is what the, the magic carpet that this movie rides on. So we're not going to, you know, dig on them too much. In the middle of this, they receive a phone call from David asking, uh, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> this distracts them from the blood of comedy giant John Ritter, which is leaking out of the underneath of the beat, the, the bench seat in, in this van that they, they've stashed the dead body in. Uh, so they decide to lay low in the honeymoon capital of northern New York State, <laughs> and that is Niagara Falls. Oh, listen, it's Monster Magnet. They were a band. Yeah, they sure were. God. They sure were. <laughs> oh, boy. If, I, I will say out of. All the soundtracks of the 90s, because I still listen to a lot of them, like, and this is only like, what, 10 months after Scream 2 soundtrack, which is, I still think, one of the best soundtracks ever. And like, mm-hmm. I think a few months removed from, uh, maybe it was a year removed from like the, no, it was a few months removed from the faculty, which is great. This soundtrack, with the exception of like Blondie, is so like late 90s. 
that like it, it's it literally like it listens like a like a time capsule like i like yes. I, I like open my locker from like middle school <laughs> and oh here's my cds from my backpack that had patches that you know had soundgarden on it and like you know slayer and power man 5000 and it's just it was hilarious just just how if there's anything that dates the movie it's literally just the soundtrack for me i mean i yeah you know but it's also not out of place. It's not. It doesn't really, it, it weirdly melds with the environment of it quite well. Yeah. As opposed to Ronnie Yu's other clash of the horror titans, Freddy versus Jason, mm-hmm. which just sounds like the most haphazard homunculi of butt rock ever collected into one 90 minute film. I yeah. mean, oh, God. there's no rhyme or reason to any of those songs to appear on vinyl nevertheless be composited into the finished product of a film <laughs> what i'm saying is it's uh yeah oh i i i have to agree with you on that but one of the things i so here's a an, an anachronism that happened in the first half i don't know if you pointed this out yet but one of the things i i thought was kind of strange is that like all right so they're criticizing the music that's playing and then White Zombies Thunder Kiss 65 plays and like Chucky, mm-hmm. you know, vibes to it. He does the he, he like does the devil horns and everything. Yeah. And the thing that is interesting about that is that oh, actually, no, I think this is in the second half. It's in the, it's in the when he does the fist bump in the, the yeah, um, he's like music shit since yeah. I died. Well, the thing that's crazy is that like so the White Zombie that that song came out in like ninety three or nine no nine ninety two it was off of uh, uh I think it was um La Sexorcisto I can't remember I never La say it right Sexorcisto yep yeah so like all right so <laughs> if we're gonna t- go by the timeline Child's Play three which is where you conceivably was like last living was like ninety one so it seems weird that he'd like be like oh yeah White Zombie this hit. I don't know. I'm sorry. I didn't want to go on a tangent on the soundtrack, but that was one thing I pointed out. Like, I was like, wait a second. Why the hell would he be a white zombie fan? Like, that makes no sense. First of all, he's a huge fan of that division of Universal Music Group. He just loves everything they do. (laughs) And so that label, he's just picking up whatever. Yeah. And the other thing is just it it, it fits him. He's a Chicago boy. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a (laughs) lot. We'll get back to how Chicago he is a little bit later on. But um, I forgive it. Yeah. Because everything that it, 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 you know revolves around that particular sequence, I kind of love. For example, Tiffany, uh, you know, is gazing at this neon angel outside of the the drive-by wedding place, <laughs> and she says out loud, almost just talking to herself, because she knows that Chucky isn't listening. I I always. You know, a big church wedding with my, I always dreamed of a big church wedding with a, my picture in the paper. Not the usual mugshot either, but something really flattering. <laughs> He's really given it a lot of thought. <laughs> um, everything that happens in that car just feels like a hangout movie. Mm-hmm. And there's an easy chemistry between those two. And this is the most romantic part of the movie. For what is really the central couple. Yeah. Jesse and Jade are the side couple. They're almost a B story. Or as like I said before, the sort of magic carpet that every, that the real story flies yeah. on. And what's happening between them, I think, is where the real gold is. And because they're filled out by actors who are just at the right place and the right time, mm-hmm. it sings. 
Yeah, I look at Jesse um, and Jade as like uh, the adult characters in Toy Story, like the humans, <laughs> where they're like, oh, here they are. All right, well, uh, when are they going to leave the room so we can go back to the main characters? Okay, cool. Awesome. Bye. Like, yeah, that's exactly. Uh, I, I, I had no, I, I had no vested interest in whether or not they were going to be able to run off and get married or not. No, it was like, get me back to the, I, I want to see more rapport between, uh, you know, Tiffany and Chucky. Like, that's, that's just the meat of the story and it's so good and like that in terms of like scripting i, I want to say like this might be don mancini's finest hour like even over like even the original ones like i i think like the the dialogue here is so funny and so yeah. well written and like even down to like the fact like even the lines that you were saying just then like there's a tragedy to it like i actually think like tiffany is like a really like sad character and like i like for the most part i felt really bad for her throughout the whole movie and yet at the same time have to pinch myself and be like, all right, well, you know, they're, they're two serial killers and dolls. Okay. Let's just remind yourself this Mike. But like at the same time, like really feeling for them, like it, it, like at least for, for Tiffany, especially with the reveal when she's like, how the hell am I in this body? Like, what, what did you do to me? Like there, there is like a tragedy to this for her. Well, it takes the, you know, so much, I love Bride Frankenstein. It's, it's Mm -hmm. a fantastic movie, but it invests very little in the titular character. Yeah. She's literally a plot point. Uh, a very striking plot point that is memorable and has lasted decades near unto, you know, we're at 90 uh, years plus at this point. Uh, But we don't know the bride here. Don manages to create a bride that takes a real journey. We see her start with one goal, shift that goal to something different marry those two goals together and practically marry in literal sense Mm -hmm. and then have a violent breakup. And that's something that a lot of horror movies, particularly at the time, they gave you thrills and they gave you great characters. But this is a real good story journey that I would say ranks up right at the top of the the 90s horror batch for me. Oh, I would. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Yeah, a hundred percent. I, it's what I watching it with, uh, you know, in my thirties as opposed to like when I was like a teen or I don't know when I watched. I, I had to watch it when I was in my early twenties. Whatever. It made me realize just how just more sophisticated it was than I thought. I mean, like, I, I'm sure when I walked out of it in '98, the the first thought I had was like, well, I've seen dolls fuck. Um, and, and, and Chucky still got it like and you know and I'm sure I you know use some quips and stuff like that when I, when I went out and hung out with friends and stuff but like with this it's like there is like there's so much there's so much thought into the relationships here in ways that I, I don't think any of the characters in any of the previous sequels with maybe the exception of Child's Play 2 with um, with Andy and um, uh, his, I guess, his stepsister in a way, quote unquote mm-hmm. stepsister, not really stepsister, I get foster sister, but it, it was really smart. I mean, I was shocked. I was blown away by how much thought was actually welded into their relationship here. I, what I really love upon this particular revisit is the juxtaposition in, in one scene as they're, get, as they're taking their final vows. Mm-hmm. Don Mancini has created a a sequence in which Chucky is stabbing a dude from behind. (laughs) (laughs) While two people who do not trust one another are able to get legally married 
50 yards away and you really get the like there's some commentary happening in this movie it is a wonderful gore fest and it is very funny but there's more going on here the the more you dig into it and the meat in that sandwich i really enjoy biting into of course Chucky rounds off that killing spree of poor John Ritter. Oh, God. Who, <laughs> I can't imagine how long he was in that chair to get all those nails in his face day in, day out. But he holds the knife up to his face and, quote, a true classic never goes out of style. And there's just so much panache to the proceedings here. It just leaps off the screen as something more than just another horror sequel yeah and and it's smart in the way that it does its references i mean this is a this is a movie that literally starts with the the most like at the time i want to say the most mcu-esque sort of thing where you literally see all the like the horror icons and like the lockers like i remember as a kid just that sort of like quote-unquote inside baseball or connective tissue or whatever you want to call it trivia was just mind-blowing to me i was like oh my god like i can't believe this stuff is happening and it's ironic, or I guess just maybe coincidental that like, you know, you would go on to do like Freddy versus Jason. But like at the time it was like, wow, this is really cool. But I, I love those type of Easter eggs because it's like, yeah, it's blatant because it's literally right in your face. But it's just enough where you can go, oh, OK, yeah, like this is kind of fun making a little nod to like the, the, the horror community. And even that stuff doesn't feel like like lame or in your face or just it's like subtle like even with like the nails on the face he's like oh, i've seen that before and like yeah. referencing hellraiser like i love that like and it's and it's so not like like i feel like today it just it they it would have been so much more ostentatious you know like it, it, it would have been a little more transparent it would have been like big neon signs pointing out to the easter eggs now and i, I just kind of like the little subtle um things that they put on here um i also love that when Warren dies, they do the thing that you never really see in horror movies or in any movies where where there's something that's sticking out of someone and they fall on it. Like Yeah, that's always that's actually, always gruesome. Right? Like, <laughs> oh, when you see the nails actually go further into his head, like, oh, it's just like, God, they really tortured John Ritter in this. Jesus. Um, <laughs> just really, uh, ugh. It, it just makes me miss him all the more. I, yeah. I wish that guy was still around. But let's talk about um, some other suspicious traits in this movie, and that's Diane and Russ. They're two young lovers, thieves, and not-so-secret swingers. And in uh, Jesse and Jade's honeymoon suite, they kind of sweep in. That's uh, a bizarre. Let me just stop and, you right there. This is a very bizarre sure. con they're running. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. they, they, they just walk into people's hotel rooms and, and proceed to, to pretend to hit on them. Yeah. Or legitimately hit on them and they would have stolen their wallet regardless. Because what I don't quite get is when we go back to Diane and Russ's room, Diane's rather put out, you know, I guess because A, she only got 500 bucks from that wallet. And two, that she feels they would have gotten better, quote unquote, action at Club Med, which is... (laughs) now, correct me if I'm wrong, because I've never attended club, but I believe that an all-inclusive resort would have 
been less of a cash cow, but maybe more of a swingers cow. Yes. If that makes any sense. Yeah. So I think she she was down to clown in the parlance. Oh, I agree. I, I, just, don't I, know, I, I, I just don't know how often that would work for them, though. I mean, usually you you <laughs> I, you would have to, you know, maybe you have a little conversation with people, kind of, you know, loosen them up a little bit. You don't just, you know, walk into their hotel room in lingerie. No. <laughs> I'm here, you know. <laughs> Well, I think you you basically reduced the conversation down to a single question. And so maybe there, there's less time investment and that opens up your evening to more possibilities. I, I don't know how they live, but it is an interesting character dynamic that these two have either been fucking or stealing their way through various couples locales. And it seems to be doing okay for them. Uh, maybe not as okay as they might want. It's it's strange because it's like both couples are incredibly attractive, um, yeah. and there's they're obviously like put off by the attitude that you have of Jade and Jesse, who are coming off of just you know watching a cop explode. So I get it why they would <laughs> want to get out of the you know the motel room, um, but I I think there's almost like a win win in the game that like if they just go right into the room. Without the guns ablazing, but just the sex ablazing, they can easily cop the wallet. Now, the end game of having sex, I don't know. I mean, I guess they maybe there was an ego here where they thought like, well, hey, look, we're hunks, we're babes. We're going to be able to like win this over. And I, I, I guess maybe they felt that they're outmatched and like, well, they're not into it. Let's just leave. We got the wallet. We're good. I do think that their uh, they, their game plan needs some tweaking. I, I, I agree with you for sure. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, who who knows where they could have taken this pro? Yeah. But of course, we're not going to get to that. Let's let's discuss how they meet their unfortunate end. Uh, first, uh, we see I don't know the best lead into sex. The sort of aggressive you know pushing of uh yeah they're they're another hands. they're another hor- horror couple who's bad at sex mm-hmm. gina how many movies now <laughs> have we watched people is particularly guys try to fuck the hip bone or upper thigh of nobody's a removing nobody's removing like, underwear nothing nothing is 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 like <laughs> i i've not seen a the horror movies i have a you know dearth of good sex scenes and i i don't know why but, but if yeah. you look, if, if, I, I wonder if it's parody. Like, is it just trying to be like as bad as possible because it's like it, you could get chuckles? No, in the, in I, the think, audience? I think I think it's. I mean, it's it's a pretty. Calm, I'm trying to think if we've seen any movies that had a sex scene that was decent, and and no. and I can't. I honestly can't <laughs> think of any. They're all framed like that, where it's just some dude fumbling around like it's his first time. Like everyone's half dressed. Nobody knows where anything is. No. You know, it's 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 I think we have to go all the way back to the original Friday the thirteenth for anything that remote I mean, we at least get to see some Kevin Bacon. Yeah, yeah. fair fair point. And they seem to be having a good time. And outside of that, like maybe the remake with your boob placement is perfect. Yeah. Is at least a good comic version where at least it looks like they're in the position that human beings would need to be in to have sex. <laughs> we, well, that that's a grade bump. It was fun. Well, I well, on the Halloween is we talked to Tom Savini recently, and I asked him, I was like, "Well, did you ever you know keep up with the Friday the Thirteenth movies?" And he's like, "You know, I, I don't really watch them after like a you know I think it was like seven or eight or something that he stopped." But like he's like, "Well." I had, I was in the movie theater and he like talks about how he sneaks into the, the different theaters and right around the time that Friday the 13th the remake came out and he went in with a bunch of friends 
and watch that scene and the whole like what's the what's the line it's like your tits are stupendous or something like that or like yes and and he just him and his friends were just like he said and his friends were just like laughing like who the fuck wrote this like this is just <laughs> ridiculous um but i will say i i think it is very in character it is for that person to say that yes it is i agree um the one thing i will say with this with this these scammers and con artists I guess I'm not too surprised that their sex is too bad when I see the tattoo on the upper left shoulder of oh, um, yeah. that. That's literally what it, like, I guess it's like the the, the, the total cliche late '90s uh, moon tattoo that would be like on the uh, that you'd probably get from the, the PacSun <laughs> crowd. <laughs> exactly. It's like, do you see this T-shirt I wore when I was 12? Yeah. I want that permanently added to my body. Right. In a place I can't see it, but others can. Uh, I brought this empty uh, Capri Sun uh, uh, <laughs> container. Could you actually tattoo this on my uh, on, on my upper left uh, t- shoulder blade? Um, How are you at, at, at transposing the Ecto Cooler bottle <laughs> onto my body? Uh, now, that's a tattoo I would actually maybe get. Uh, I like sure. Slimer. But that that is... Uh, that's oh god! I need to bring back the echo cooler, please. Um. <laughs> Speaking of juice-related death, <laughs> so uh, they begin to, and I put this in air quotes: big dick fingers <laughs> make love, and uh, they notice in the mirror that is above their waterbed that Tiffany is alive, yeah. walking around, and has a champagne bottle in her hand. She th- tosses it into the mirror. Causing what can only be described as a waterbed bloodgasm. Yeah. It like, ex- it like explodes like Johnny Depp's bed in Nightmare on Elm Street. It does. <laughs> I was like, what the hell is this? It would just like, it would probably be the most anticlimactic. It would just like a bunch of things would fall down. They probably wouldn't be dead. Yeah, I don't know that that would be yeah. that the you know, mirrors that are constructed to be specifically above people's beds are made with anything <laughs> but safety glass. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and there's not not a lot of whole glass mirrors in the no-tell motel newlywed suite business, is my guess. No, I, I think that's a little too ritzy and expensive for that. Even like with high price hotels in Vegas, I think they're probably like reserve the mirrors for like the Papa Giorgio suite or whatever. Um, but <laughs> I, what, I, what I thought was actually kind of effective here is uh-huh. the, the fact that like, and this is something they, they kind of bring back from like the older Charlotte's Play movies is the the realization that there is a living doll and they are they have the upper hand that yes. has been from like the beginning of child's play and i always love that mancini does it where they do the reveal right before the actual ultimate kill and i mean i just put myself in their position um and and just the idea of like seeing this doll that you literally had just seen before come to life and staring at you is pretty freaky and and, and like legit terrifying um and, and I like that they actually react. Yeah. Because in so many modern movies, people see the most fantastical fucking things. And they're like, oh, that's a thing that happened. Yeah. Like, what are you doing? You, I know, we both know that you're in a movie, but there has to be a reality to what you're doing. Yeah. And when you see something fantastical, I don't care if it's cliche out of Steven Spielberg, you stare at that mm-hmm. thing. You're like, holy shit, is this really happening? Yeah, I want to see that. You don't have to say it, but you. I want to see reactions and people in Chucky movies, for the most part, react like something big and out of the normal is happening. Totally, something that also is out of the normal is Chucky accessing his feelings. Oh, yeah. And so, 
<laughs> this mo- this bloodgasm just brings everything to the fore. It's that moment where you didn't know whether or not you were connected to somebody, but something happens and you look across the room at that person and you go, they get it. They get that. I get that. They get it. We, we get it. And he immediately says, I love you. And this leads to a proposal using the ring off a severed finger. <laughs> I which love it. Chucky I seems it. to have a, yeah. a little bit of prop performance issues getting off. Yeah. <laughs> then we get to see a lot more doll butt than I ever needed to see. <laughs> That's an interesting component to this. Um, and they 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 go on to they go on to fuck. Finally, we're gonna see in in the shadow of the fire a, a raging fire them make sweet sweet doll love to one another <laughs> now when I, I have to ask when yes. you know obviously when this happened in 98 this is um you know uncharted territory manifest destiny when it came to mm-hmm. uh fictional um doll fucking on screen and but then the only thing i could think of now is team america with yes and i wonder if team america got inspired by this movie i vividly remember when this scene happened in theaters there you couldn't hear the screen people were losing their minds in the theaters like i it was like i cannot believe what i'm watching this is literally connected to the same movie universe that has chris sarandon as a cop like how the fuck is this happening <laughs> like and it's still baffling but it, you know what it, it somehow mancini earns it like i i i'm i'm with it i don't I, i'm not it doesn't take me out of the movie it just i'm like all right yeah this makes I, sense i think that they go yeah. the, the key is that they they know exactly how far they can go with it mm-hmm. and and you know it, it doesn't become like a like a like a family guy joke where it's a little too gross and a little too played out it's just, it's just, it's funny. It's just like, what the fuck am I watching here? I, I mean, I thought that my favorite part was when uh, Chucky is crawling away from blowing up Needle Nose's car, and he looks like he looks like the <laughs> he looks like the baby on the ceiling from Train Spotting. Yes, he does. <laughs> <laughs> he totally does. And but oh and then God. I thought, no, it's when Ch- it's when Chucky is 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 uh you know rocking out to White Zombie. But no, it, it's this scene here. It, it's it's you know the the invisible tongue kissing and, and, and everything's in the the shadow and and you know a, a, it's the most romantic yeah. component of the entire. They have film. more yeah. raw chemistry between these two dolls. <laughs> That these two human beings do. I know it's so wild. Like it, it, it's it, that's really the measure of success. For this I, movie. I wish I is, do. You guys, do either of you know if Brad Dorf and Jennifer Tilly were in the same room doing their voices? Because they're just—it's so good. And and I know. You know even just in voice in voice work, they just have an insane amount of chemistry. I, I don't. I, I wondered about that too because like it, it is their chemistry is just dynamite to the point where. It had to have been the reason why. I mean, maybe Jennifer Tilly just really like hit it off with Bansini and stuff. But I have to be. It has to. I have to imagine that's one of the reasons why she, like she came back for the lead for like Cedar Chucky like after this because they they're so good together. And it could have been easy to just write her off because I mean, spoiler alert of what happens at the end of this movie. Like you could have easily have like written off where Tiffany isn't in the next one. But I think because they're so good, it's like they're like, look, we're not doing another movie without the two of them. Like, yeah, you know, and that's so crazy. Like the fourth movie, like to have a, a like a co-star 
basically steal the movie like i mean that's it, it's pretty awesome i mean I, I it's i think it speaks to the success of this movie but also just in the success of like getting away with half of the stuff that's going on in this movie like she sells it yeah like, i, bu- the I buy them the i totally buy them as a couple you know i yeah. i buy them that they would have been a couple before they turned into dolls <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, I, and 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 i buy them still being a couple I mean, yeah it's it's in a it's a toxic codependent abusive relationship but i buy it yeah i i buy it more than i ever bought you know harley and joker and suicide squad you know i mean yeah. <laughs> god there's all yeah uh i think that was a good thing to get rid of leto uh for oh, Birds of Prey. Yeah, it's a good thing but, it's a good thing to get rid of him in everything frankly yeah god except but for Gina, my so-called he's... life i will say he's a great hunk in that he's awesome i love him in that mo- in that show um but uh, other than that, yeah, okay, time to go. Um, but Gina, he's so twisted. Yeah, right? just, uh, he God. lies down on the ground with a bunch of knives and guns. Yeah, I gotta send and he has himself a good old laugh. Here's, um, here's the measure of how poorly Leto does as Joker. Is that the portrayal of Charles Lee Ray as Chucky has lasted multiple decades. And there is nothing more genuine than when Chucky laughs yeah. in these movies. And the fact that Tiffany laughing in concert with that fits in and doesn't sound like an interloper, does not sound like a fifth wheel of any sort of kind or some sort of, you know, uh, late in the season sitcom baby just added to, you know, add spice to the proceedings just fits right in yeah. is a minor miracle, uh, but one that I this film should be celebrated for. I agree. I mean, it's it's kind of crazy that the minute that she transfers to the doll in like the first half, there's no real doubt of whether or not this is going to work. And I and I and I and I, while watching it last night, I was wondering like, is it because of hindsight? Because I've seen this movie a bunch of times, but I really don't think so. Like, I think like the minute she blinks on the doll is like I'm I'm in. Like I I don't question like oh is this going to be a stupid gimmick? Like is this going to be lame? Like it's it's almost as like. Like, it's almost like I've seen this, like, it was like, it was meant to be like, I was like, all right, well, yeah, this works. This works in the fabric of the film. It works in the fabric of the franchise. It's like, this has always been there to begin with. Like, it's, it, it's wild. Like it's, it, it literally is like Bride as Frankenstein, but like yeah. fully embellished. And also adds a little bit of, of, um, meat to the lore yeah. of being able to transfer your soul into another object. Yeah. Because up until now, Chucky has been the only example of this ever happening. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, it happens again, and they build on that in every subsequent sequel from this point. So they found a way to not make it just another Chucky wakes up inside this doll, tries to get out of the doll. And that's what I love. Like, th- yeah. and that was what we were, because uh, I watched with the group last night. Um, I broke social distancing. I apologize. But, um, and we were, and we were talking about that. It was like, what a relief to, like, not have to have the same rigmarole of, like, Oh great, he's chasing the kid again, or oh great, he's chasing this like like no, he's like this. That's kind of like I mean, that's part of it, but like it's not. It's a road movie. Like it's yeah. totally new, and I, I don't know. It's like in terms of sequels, I think we did something at Consequence of Sound a while ago. I don't know where Bride of Chucky ranks, but I think it's in the top twenty for like the best horror sequels for sure because it's so it's such a total reinvention of the franchise, and in a ways where you're like, why didn't they do this type of world building like? by two or three i mean it's it's i think it had to die in order for it to be reborn yeah i i i you know universal took it over in in two and i think two is a very good follow-up yeah to, oh to yeah the first one 
and you have the benefit of of still having a small kid being at the center of it, which I think is the first one's real secret weapon, is he's too young for anyone to listen to anything he says with any, you know, seriousness. Mm -hmm. So when he says that Chucky is talking to him and telling him what to do, everyone's like, what the fuck are you talking about, kid? (laughs) And it carries over into two, but when you get into three, that act is very, very tired. Mm Mm-hmm. And so this allow you know, that period of time where it laid fallow allowed them to grow a different kind of crop out of the, you know, ashes of what had been there before. And I think you just build a better foundation. Totally. And and you um, can see with the sequels, it clearly opened like 20 doors for Mancini because he was where this is gone is yeah. insane. Um, but it gets infinitely more personal. Yeah. Like he is allowed to tell the kinds of stories he's always wanted yep. to tell using Chucky as just, again, that magic carpet to ride people off into. Yeah. So let's get back into to the movie proper. I, I just have to say, writing about that doll sex scene was very difficult with my nine-year-old in the room. <laughs> uh, it took a lot of subterfuge, but we got through it. And the other thing is, at least two couples that night had very memorable wedding nights. Mm-hmm. Jesse and Jade, not among them. Uh, it's very difficult to make a stealthy exit from a waterbed. Uh, you can't just, you know, sneak away. <laughs> there's a lot. There's literal ripples from when you leave that marriage bed, um, both literally and figuratively. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now both of them call David, worried more than ever that each one is a murderer, but he sees through this. There's no way both of you can think each other is the murderer. It has to be a misunderstanding. Of course, what sort of uh, throws a corkscrew into the works, as it were, is when we cut to the next morning and Kathy and Jimmy has arrived for a cameo that <laughs> yeah, says, that was weird. this is a favor. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is a very recognizable person wandering into a movie which she has zero business and not that I am sad to see Kathy and Jimmy. Anytime she wants to show up anywhere, I'm happy to watch. But it does it does come out of fucking nowhere. <laughs> I was trying to figure out why. Like, was she friend? Like, I mean, obviously, she never I worked have with to Ronnie. Assume Yu. friends with Don Mancini. There's no other right? reason. Like, but what, I'm trying to imagine. Like, what did she work on that had anything to do with Mancini? I mean, like, obviously, Hocus Pocus is like the horror aspect for her. But like, I mean, was was he involved in Soap Dish? I, no, he wasn't involved in that. But like, no. that's weird. I I, it, I was. Shocked. I just wonder if it's a around town sort of. Thing. Yeah. Like. They're fast friends or something like that, where he's like, yeah. I just want someone who has a great scream and can react appropriately and seem befuddled right up until the point she finds two dead, gory bodies, you know, uh, all staked with all manners of mirror inside of them. And of course, into the scene immediately is Jade and Jesse because they have the worst timing of anyone. Oh, yeah. No, just the worst. <laughs> they are terrible at this. And, of course, they do the most damning thing you could do in a situation. Run for yes, it. Like, but this time they have David in tow. Now, here's the thing with David. I now I, in, as On our Nightmare 2 podcast for Halloweenies, I actually threw some shade because I was like, oh, what a cliche character. Because that's how I remembered it. But he's not. And, like, what I love about him is that, like, he's actually probably the smartest character out of anyone in this movie. And I think one of the reasons why I thought he was like a stereotypical character is because 
of how bad he or like how dirty they they they, they kill him in this movie. Like, yeah. and there's like some one liners here. Where I'm just like, all right, come on, this is like literally like just a '90s like like way of like writing a queer character but at the same time it's like well it was the 90s and like it's pretty great that they were actually able to have like a queer character that's in the movie um and and i and obviously that's that's probably attributed to like mancini too like being able to kind of make that happen in this narrative but I, i i was legit like shocked at like how like nuanced of a character he was when like cause I, all i remember just like i le- i remembered it in a negative light um and I actually felt more for his character than anyone else in this movie because he literally is doing the smartest thing out of anyone. Like he, he distanced himself when he should. He he has all the right facts. Like he he's quick on his feet in ways that they aren't when he's even talking to Warren in the house in the first part. Like mm-hmm. he knows all the context in it. He's technically Basil Exposition for like everyone. Like um <laughs> so I, I don't know. I, I actually felt for his role and I felt like really bad when he has his pre final destination death. Like I just I, I thought he was kind of a tragic character in there. But Yeah, I, I think some of it is he suffers from the era in which the the character type is born. Yeah. Because this is coming one year after my best friend's wedding. Yeah. And so you have the start of this trope, which he falls into, not out of design, but simply out of placement in time. So there's some of that that he suffers from but he is trying his absolute best and there's very little about his character that seems you know stereotypical yeah for example his bedroom looks like i don't know is he staying in his nana's house (laughs) there's some very severe oak in his bedroom yeah it's very austere for a uh, teen on his way to college literally looks like he he lives in an old folks home it, it, he does actually, yeah. That's the come to think of it. I, I actually didn't even think about that. Um, it's very true. I, I wonder how much of that was just like, hey, we need a shot of him on the phone. Um, uh, what's the nearby house? Uh, <laughs> let's get all the shots with him. Uh, we were gonna do ADR, but um, we're gonna actually have uh, shots where he's in the room. So let's find a house in Toronto um and, and let's go for it's it it's very tight close up, right that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, but david finds chief warren's body all curled up in that bench seat uh pulls a gun on jesse and jade uh and this is when chucky and tiffany have to reveal themselves because they're in a real pickle they're cops who have noticed they've pulled over to the side of the road <laughs> we've we've got a real we're about to have a serious ticking clock and so they pull two guns uh, out on David. He freaks the fuck out and wanders into highway traffic and is immediately just crushed oh, it's awful. by a passing truck. And and with um, lots of extra bits <laughs> that fly off as he's hit. Oh, it's really grisly. But I remember my audience reacting loudly yeah. to that. Because it was, I mean, and, again, it's before that type of death. Like I, I'm, yes. tr- I was trying to think. Like I was racking my brain last night, trying to think of any other deaths that were like that before this, and, and I can't think of any. Like I, I mean, Final Destination really popularized that because it, it was like anytime you see an empty frame with like a busy background, you're like, oh fuck, this person's dead. But at the time, like I remember thinking, like this was is really horrifying because like he doesn't just explode. Like it like literally is a gulf of flames. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, so He's, harsh. He, 
Um, he is a he's a human being that is mostly composed of chunks of bloody flesh. Yeah. Yeah. And and once any amount of force is, is pushed onto it and he simply explodes in every direction. What makes it even worse is when they take off in the van and you cut back to Jade looking out of the rear window to the aftermath uh, yeah. of that. And the front grill of this truck is just decimated. And the guy is just looking at it like there was a human being yeah. who was there and now there's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> it's grisly. I do. I, you have to wonder, does final destination benefit from the not first, but in the right place and right time for that death to then become what it becomes? Yeah, I think it, I think it does. And, and I think it's because in, it's in the final destination ones are hardly as gruesome as that. I, I don't think it, they are. I mean, cause most of it are like flash in the pan. It's like, boom. And then you're done. Yeah. It's the impact that actually is the bigger effect. Like the, like in terms of gore, like this movie really goes there in ways that a lot of nineties movies weren't doing that. I mean, like there's obviously the opening scene with scream where you actually see like the quick shot at Casey and it's like pretty horrifying, but for the most part, you never really get that much gore. I mean, this is that kind of goes back to like almost like the trauma days um, in in weird ways. I, 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 I revisiting, I was like kind of shocked that it was like late nineties because I just don't remember like the late nineties. I think this. it benefits from being such a big comedy, yeah, that it was allowed to get away with some things that other films wouldn't, mm-hmm. because it elicits such outrageous laughs and. After you have two dolls having sex <laughs> in, in shadow up against firelight to go, well, this is too much. You'd be laughed out of the room mm-hmm. like you you're allowing two dolls to have sex in firelight, but not this. And you don't see the direct impact of it. Like, come on. And like, OK, you crazy kids. Go for it. <laughs> yeah. It just gets away with so much more and we all benefit from it. Chucky and Tiffany are forced to reveal themselves, as we said, and this results in a high-speed chase. And Chucky manages to shoot out a patrolman's tire through his <laughs> headlight. That's just a great shot. Yeah. The guy's talented. Um, my other thing that I love here, and you know this is kind of a direct result of Scream, of allowing people to discuss the fact that they've seen horror movies mm-hmm. before, is one, not even introducing himself, saying... You all know who I am, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, you you get this thing, right? And then Tiffany's like, oh, well, I guess I have to explain I'm Tiffany. <laughs> but he doesn't. And they're just instantly like, yeah, yeah, you're Chucky. Which is, I love. Like, I, I kind of miss that. I kind of miss just like, all right, we're in. You know, we're mm-hmm. here because we love this. We don't need any sort of explanation. And this is something that Stephen King does all the time. Like, like I, I I like The Outsider. I, I I the book is whatever, but like the 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 show I thought was good. But one of my things I that drove me nuts about the show is that they literally spend like two fucking episodes trying to convince you that like supernatural exists. And it's like, look, I'm in. I don't need to be explained. I know that there's Reddit culture out there that needs everything to be like some sort of like connect the dots things. But like, if yeah. you just go with it, I'm good. And like the fact that this movie does is it works to its advantage because if he did this whole fucking thing where he's like, well, actually, you know, I was a killer in Chicago and I been a body. It's like the fact that he just says like, oh, you know, three or four movies would do it justice is great. It's like a fun, yeah. punchy title or a punchy line that's total in line with like Kevin Williamson. I love it. And it, you move on. <laughs> You don't need yeah. to sit there and belabor over the past. And we get lots of reaction shots of it. I, the poor guy who's playing Jesse 
is um is is left a little to draw out to dry in this scene because Tiffany's like, and you know me, and he's like, uh, uh, yeah, he he, like, he does confused really well. That this 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 poor actor, <laughs> he he's got confused down pat. I, you know, maybe it's just the way his his beautiful face mm-hmm. lays against that amazing bone structure, but it's kind of like, hey, we got to be confused faster. Come on, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's let's reel this in. Uh, luckily, we're safe from this um, because the film decides to add a ticking clock. Charles Lee Ray's and uh, Tiffany's fingerprints were found at two of the crime scenes, and therefore the police have decided they have to dig up the body. Of Charles Lee Ray. Uh, and lo and behold, that's where the heart of Dembala is. So now they got to get there before they take that body away. Otherwise, their whole plan is shot. And I love that we add this, oh, we got to do this now mm-hmm. element. I also like it. that it means they can um, drive from Niagara Falls to, to uh, where is he from? Hackensack? To Hackensack, Hackensack, yeah. Hackensack, yeah. Like about two hours. Yeah. Which is would be <laughs> in, a, in the, across the entire state of New York. Well, which I, I will they, say they, is an improvement of going from Springwood, Ohio to uh, Camp Crystal Lake in Freddy vs. Jason, point. which they seemingly do in 45 we minutes. Did. We did. We, we mentioned that. We ranted about that. Unreal. Like, in the same night. Like, are you kidding me? Like, it's ridiculous, but whatever. It, it does bear some conversation, I feel, yeah. to compare this to Jason for, for, to Freddy versus Jason. Because it's not to say that Freddy versus Jason is any more ridiculous than this. It's just that Freddy versus Jason just takes ridiculous and strips motivation and internal story dynamics out of it. And you're just left with questions. And it proposes things like Freddy's afraid of fire and Jason's afraid of water. Jason walked along the bottom of the goddamn Atlantic. (laughs) He, every film, he's walking through rain, and now he's scared of water? He's walking through rain in that movie. It's called The First Fucking Act, and he doesn't seem to have a problem with being wet. No. He's he's a wet guy. He's into wet. <laughs> he In a dream sequence, he lives on a murder island yeah. with fitted sheets <laughs> on his bed. <laughs> the fuck? He has a dresser drawer. He has a spare mask on the closet. God damn it. Okay. I feel like I underplay my rage at that that particular episode. But it's been boiling the fuck over ever since. And I know that Ronnie Yu did not write Freddy vs. Jason. We know those two people did. We know their little excuses for all sorts of problems in that movie. But it just goes to show Ronnie Yu can elevate great material. Mm -hmm. Here, he's got solid, internally it makes sense material. And he makes it look fantastic. He really does. versus Jason, he makes shit look as good as it can look. Out of all the eras... 
because I, I don't I don't lump this into like the Platinum Dunes era, but I certainly do with like Freddy vs. Jason because it's like literally the yeah. same year as you're gonna get um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remake and all. And there's a sheen to it. There's like a blue, almost like aqua sheen um, or metallic blue sheen to it. Um, I mean, it literally looks like Mel Gibson's paid uh, payback, like in both movies in, in, in sometimes, like at least the night shots. And yeah. I think with this one, there's far more color um, and it's a little more grounded and down to earth. So I like that a little bit more. But like Freddy vs. Jason, he goes like all in. And like when it when it's more the dreamy elements of it, it looks gorgeous. Um but what I love about this one is that he dialed like he hadn't gotten there yet. And he kind of dialed back the sheen to kind of let a little more of the grime in. Like, I, you know, like even in the earlier parts where you're at the trailer park or um, you're you're at the rest stops and stuff. It like almost kind of takes on like a, a Farley Brothers sort of like realism, um, like gritty realism to it that I, I yeah. kind of like um, and appreciate. But um, you're right. I mean, he's very hyper stylized. And I don't and, and I think I don't think it's coincidence that like. Granted, he didn't write both Freddy vs. Jason and uh, and Freddy Chucky, but but like um, both like a lot of his past movies, especially going back in like the '80s with like The Postman Strikes Back, they all deal with like like um, like road or like a travel or a journey. And I wonder yes. if that's like something that he just loves using as a medium. You know, like he gets bored maybe of settings, and he's like, all right, I want to go to another place. Um, yeah, I mean, listen, this movie gets there. That yeah. the entire sequence in the graveyard smacks entirely of bride with white hair yeah it's just he has the flowy material in the background he he burns tiff will get to his, you know tiffany gets burned and she becomes sort of that bride with white hair aesthetic and it, it allows the movie to reach what he what he was known for up until that point but there's a there's just an internal clock work here that moves and fits better than in Freddy versus Jason. And I just don't think he's the kind of filmmaker who can make junk work. Mm -hmm. He can make it look pretty. Yeah. And that film looks pretty damn good. It looks glossy. It doesn't look like a, you know, some, some Joe off the street made, no. but it, it's a benefit when he, when he has given material and performances to really elevate. Yeah. So, Let's get back to it. We're on our way to where I think all great uh, doomed relationships end up. <laughs> New Jersey. Uh, sorry, Gina. Um, <laughs> You're not wrong. Born and raised. <laughs> Are you from New Jersey? I, born and raised in New Jersey. Yep. Are you? Uh, were you? Ha did you happen to be born in Haddonfield, New Jersey, or uh, no? no? But I, I, you grew up in that general part of New Jersey, so oh, southern nice. New Jersey, that like no one ever really talks about. Oh, nice, nice. Did you did your uh, neighborhood look like um like Pete and Pete? Because I, I think like didn't they film there? So, like it was like a Hobo oh, like Hoboken. Hoboken's or, more that... like northern New Jersey, like north? but yeah, okay, okay. I'm more like the Pine Barrens area, like in the Sopranos. Oh, nice, <laughs> uh, awesome. That's awesome. Uh, so uh, we now have this ticking uh, clock here, and they have to swap the van out for a Winnebago. They managed to kill. Uh, an older couple and stuff them in the closet. This movie loves to transport dead bodies across state lines. And uh, we rejoin the action with Tiffany, uh, not really understanding the contours of, of Catherine Heigl's face when putting on makeup. This uh, is not Catherine's best look. Let's just put that out there, but that's okay. She's got other things on her mind. Um, that is making uh, Chucky uh, Swedish meatballs 
And <laughs> if I had one question to ask Don at this moment in time, it would be, what is the significance of Swedish right? meatballs? Is it a commentary on heterosexual domesticity or is it just you were in Ikea a lot? I think Swedish meatball is kind of like, it's sort of like that stereotypical housewife meal. Mm-hmm. I, I, think yeah. she, I think she bases everything that she knows about being a housewife from like a sort of weird sort of, you know, 1950s, but she's also got like a you know, violent feminist streak in her as well. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I mean she's got the little she's got That's the little the best apron, part on. and again I just love how these dolls move, and and it she's like just kind of doing this little like baby doll walk, like she looks like literally mm-hmm. one of those little walking dolls from like the eighties that kind of you know, you'd wind up and they'd <laughs> very painstakingly move like about an, like an inch at a time, and children were supposed to be dazzled by this because it would take like a half it would take like forty five minutes to cross your living room. And then, it, and then it would go through. It would burn through like four D sized batteries just doing that. But she's got these, like you know, she's got her little plate of food, her cookies, and she's so cute. I love her so I much. Uh, it's like it's in these scenes where I'm like, she loves you so much. Stop being such a fucking. Trick, I mean, I, I, I can't. Like, I honestly, you know, I, I have to you know admit I do not know how she made such a mess in the kitchen. I know. I, I don't know how long they were. I mean, they only could have been in the in the RV for a couple of hours, and like every plate is stacked up and just covered in like food and sauce, and everything's yeah. just a disaster. It's it's really cute, but it's also like there's a obviously there's a tragedy element to it. Um, one of the things I I, I thought while watching this is like uh, I, I don't know like. Is it trying to be like the Wendy and Jack thing from The Shining? Like, I, I wondered, I wanted to bring this up earlier, but I didn't. I guess now is a good time because it's it's got like the there's an animosity to Chucky in this that he's always been obviously a prick from the, the beginning, but like there's this sort of like frustrated um, Archie Bunker sort of uh, way about him in this, obviously with the domesticity like themes. But it reminds me really of like the Wendy and Jack's like stuff in like The Shining and even down to like the way that like Chucky's hair is in this like and like Brad Dourif almost kind of takes on like a, a Nicholson sort of thing like his demeanor and the way he treats Tiffany in this is is almost like exactly like how Jack treats Wendy when she like comes up and he's like, Oh, you know, you get a lot of writing done today. And he's just like, what do you want? You know, it's like, what do we want me to do about it? Like, you know, (laughs) that sort of like belabored, like exhaustion of like the wife, like angle. Like I wondered if like, if there, if he did get an influence from Nicholson in the movie, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I just was looking way too into it, and I was just into The Shining from the 40th anniversary. No, I can, I can see that, <laughs> and know. I think that it, it illustrates. It's a classic. In both scenarios are a classic. You know, hair trigger relationship situation where she is literally kind of tiptoeing around him to to yeah. not make him upset. But you know, the irony is, is that she's just as bad as he is. I mean, she she can definitely hold her own against him. So she is, but she she has the righteous angle of this is that she is giving it the best she can give it. And he can't step up beyond base emotion level Mm -hmm. to actually try to. I mean, but they're also not in the circumstances that would allow him to really be emotionally there he's holding a gun to a guy driving a car yeah but also but also he's, he's always... kind of embarrassed almost when when uh when jesse says uh you know she's not that great a housekeeper like yeah, like yeah. he's just he's like he's like he's almost a little sheepish about it 
Well, he doesn't want his relationship judged. Now he's not only responsible for his actions, but the actions of this other person that he felt like he was okay with. But now that that's even brought into question, he immediately just goes off. It, it lights his fuse so fast. And you can tell he is not emotionally prepared to be in a relationship. That's right. Hot take, everyone. Chucky's not ready to get married, and he's certainly <laughs> not ready to have children. I'm, I'm saying, listen, this might come off as judgmental. I'm not in the relationship. I'm not saying there aren't, you know, you know, thing that, that there's a spark there, but uh, I, he needs to grow the fuck up. Yeah, honestly. I mean, this is uh, literally a coming of age story for uh, a mass murderer <laughs> who became a, a doll for for yes. 13 years or 10 years. Or it whatever. is a story of transformation <laughs> over the course. Of what is now four, five, six, seven plus a TV series. So there's a genuine arc to this that Jason doesn't have, that Freddie can't have, that certainly Michael can't have. No, God, no. And he does. And I think it it enriches the experience. That's why I think ultimately, for me, it is the most creatively rewarding franchise of the icons of horror. I'd agree. As it were. Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's certainly the most unexpected. Um, yeah. And, and I think that in terms of the arc of where Chucky is taken, God, I mean, <laughs> if you would have showed me like C to Chucky, like in 95 or 94, when I was watching like child's play three, I, I, I'd been like, what is this? Like, this is crazy. <laughs> like, this is legit crazy. Um, yes. But yeah, I, I it, it's, it's, it is cool how like they are, in terms of like um, commitment to the story and the franchise and not kind of rebooting and redoing it. That's what I love so much about this franchise is that they've stuck to its guns where it's like you watch like Halloween and it's like literally a fucking choose your own adventure. Like, well, if you want to go this way, you can go that way. You want to go this. And like child's play, it's pretty been linear with the exception of the remake, which is why I think he created such an uproar when it was being remade. Cause it's like, well, no, I've kept this story going on for 20 to 30 years now at this point, almost. Yeah. And and I think if they had done Child's Play, which I have not watched yet, I won't personally pay into that. I, I think it's coming on by the time this airs, it will have been on Amazon. Prime. Yeah. Um, but I think if they had had released Child Child's Play from the burden of having to recreate Chucky as they didn't even call him Buddy, I think if they had just gone away from that and gone. What if a toy becomes homicidal mm-hmm. and just taken that? Yeah. I would have zero problem with it because you would have taken it in a different direction. And I think you would have gotten less of a rebut from people and you would have, I think it would have given it better creative direction Agreed. In, in my mind. Yeah. But again, have not seen the movie, so I can't judge it. So let's get back to this movie, which I have seen and I love to judge because it's excellent. Uh, we have this great blow up in the Winnebago. Uh, uh, Tiffany gets launched into an open oven door. Uh, Chucky blows out the side uh, window uh, like he's in a diehard movie. <laughs> and the wind, the Winnebago crashes uh, just outside the cemetery gates. Uh, we've unlocked the lightning machine. Let's crank up the wind. Let's get real bride of white bride with white hair in this bitch. Oh, yeah. Uh, this this is what this movie is really, really cranking. Um, it turns out 
they sort of pair off with Jade with Chucky and and uh, Jesse with with Tiffany, and I love the little noises Tiffany makes as she's oh the ADR you know, is across. wild in that. <laughs> it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, they they find that the uh, the the coroner's uh, assistant is already there trying to dig up his grave, but this guy has gone above and beyond when it comes. He's dug what looks like to be a spool around the coffin. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of extra room, and he's done this by hand. <laughs> There's no machinery there. It's it's a lot of digging. Generally, when you're digging up a, a coffin, you just like dig up the size of the coffin with a couple ec- extra inches so you can get a rope around that bad boy. Uh, I, 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 uh, outside of cinema... I'm not really sure the point of it, uh, but it, it sure does look wild. I didn't even think about that. Um, that is so true. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I mean, it's gigantic. How, it's huge. It's it's deeper than it would be if you actually were just digging the damn coffin, you know, the grave to begin with. Oh my god. Yes, I I, I don't know if he was. There was a bunch of other uh, coffins in there, and it was just a volume deal. I also don't know why a uh, serial killer from Chicago was buried in Hackensack, New Jersey. Yeah, oh my God, that's but a good point too. I, listen, again, it's a movie. You know, these are little but details that in a lesser movie I would find egregious. But in here, I just find charming. But uh, we have a, a massive uh, fight that breaks out between the two of them in a sort of standoff situation. Jade ends up in, in a fight with Tiffany where Tiffany uh, pulls a Mike Tyson on her <laughs> ear, which is really great. Um, and of course, we see that beautiful shot of broken plates in a fiery puddle. Just makes you think, you know, yeah. is that what my life is? Broken <laughs> plates in a fiery puddle? Maybe that's what the world is. Um, I'm going to pause. I'm going to take a 20 minute cry and you guys talk amongst <laughs> yourselves. Um, no, we're, we're doing good. Not the world is doing good. I'm fine enough. But uh, we now have this big standoff in which Tiffany is exchanged uh, for Jade. Um, but Chucky does not abide by the rules. And as soon as our young lovers are reunited, Chucky throws a knife in C- alt-CGI glory, <laughs> spinning like a top across this very windy field right into Jesse's back. And I do have to wonder, now he's the expert in jumping into bodies. I'm not. But is mortally wounding someone that you're about to possess the best move I know. for you? Like, yeah, but he doesn't, he, he doesn't mortally wound him. She just, Jade just pulls the knife out. He's all right. You know, he's okay. Yeah, she shouldn't do that. He's not a doctor. I don't really trust him to drive that van, if I'm being honest yeah, with you. I, he's not all there. He's got great um, abs, but that doesn't always translate to medical uh, knowledge. I, I, you shouldn't pull that out. One of the things I feel like horror movies underestimate all the time, in addition to sex scenes, obviously, um, is the the, the wounds. Uh, now, yeah. a couple of years ago, I opened up a can of cinnamon rolls um, while watching Harry Potter. Uh, harmless thing. <laughs> would have been easy, and, and it would have been really easy if I would have actually read the instructions to open it. But instead, like an idiot, I got a knife and tried to open the can of these Pillsbury uh, uh, pumpkin scones, whatever the fuck I was making, and sliced my hand, uh, three fingers open, um, and small wounds by by you know horror standards, blood everywhere. 
everywhere. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't mm-hmm. stop. I had to like get like, I didn't have any band-aids. So I just like literally had to get paper towels and then duct tape it. And I had this like duct tape hands. I literally looked like Devin Sauer and idle hands and blood was <laughs> pouring out of that. And I was like, so that was just a small little flesh wound on three fingers. If there's a knife that's through your back, you're, <laughs> it's going to go everywhere. Like, yes. you know, um, so that that's, I, I feel like he's down. Like he'd be down. <laughs> it's over. Um, yeah, it's it's not the best move. No, no, um, no. Oh, I I failed to mention that this movie uh, loves to tie up more people than a '30s Wonder Woman. <laughs> <laughs> they just have an endless amount of rope available yeah. to them. I, I maybe they're stuffed with it for all I can tell. But uh, this does not result very well. Uh, Tiffany is is stabbed by Chucky. Uh, when she tries after Ike, she stabs, she literally stabs oh, yeah. him in the back and, you know, says the immortal line, we belong dead. But he comes back from that to stab her and they just, they can't get along. No, so just, we don't get, we don't get a, cha- they're, they're we don't so get a right chainsaw so fight, but we do get a shovel fight, which is, which is pretty, which is pretty great. Yeah. Oh, that <laughs> shovel fight is a better fight sequence than if we're talking about Freddy versus Jason. Anything oh, absolutely. I know. Yeah, no contest. I didn't think I needed to see two like dolls like fighting with like uh with, with shovels, but after watching it again last night, I was like happy that I was able to add that to my quarantine for sure. <laughs> um, it's fantastic. It's I mean, they're really going at it. Those shovels are distractingly shiny, and whoever those little people are in that shot, <laughs> the way it is filmed from above, you really can't tell the you scale. No, and. It, it, it works. It does. It works. Yeah. Oh, Great practical effects. I, I mean, very little CGI, which I love in this, you know, and even down in the explosions, they feel real. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, even though I find the CGI sparks in that Winnebago crash to be <laughs> a little much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, holy shit. Yeah. Also, you don't really have gas in in, in rubber tubing through a Winnebago. <laughs> like uh, an oven in that circumstance would be operating through like a canister of propane yeah. gas, not not gasoline. You don't. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it's a wonderful book. But um, they managed to 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 sort of kill each other off to a degree. But our our venerable detective, uh, who's you know, popped up on television here and there throughout to be doubted by every anchor person and uh, apparently junior detective near him and his very cautious, uh, you know, approach to this case. But he arrives to see Chucky acting like a maniac inside uh, his own grave <laughs> where he lands on top of his rat farm of a body. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we get that very genuine scream from, from Chucky about it. <laughs> He arrives on the screen. He's like, the fuck is happening here? And Jade steals his gun and kills off Chucky after he says, listen, I've died a bunch of times, but it really sucks. (laughs) And I'll I'll come back, but the dying part sucks. And then she plugs him full of lead. And you get the classic... Uh, Every movie has it since the beginning where you just see his body fly back in slow-mo and it still cracks me up every time. <laughs> <laughs> just ridiculous. It, the physics of Chucky, as we noted this in the last one, are a little suspect. Yeah. But you know what? What are you going to do? Sometimes he weighs a little. Sometimes he weighs a lot. Uh, but the, the detective, upon seeing this, realizing 
these two are are not the killers. Uh, not that he'll convince anyone who was. But he goes, you two go on home. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's supposed to fucking walk from New Jersey. Back. Yeah. <laughs> Just head on off by yourself, you two. I, and I love that it's like clearly like, all right, he must have some fucking wild authority. Because he's like, uh, J- Jesse and Jade, uh, they didn't do it. All right, well, case closed. Um, let's move on. Like, ridiculous, you know. But I also feel if for a film that takes place in a universe where all of the mystical serial killers accoutrement yeah, that's true. was gathered in the same place, and they're like, all right, I don't want to believe this shit, but I've seen it too much. Yeah. It's just what happens, y'all. Is <laughs> what seems to come across. And so, yeah, they're they're left to go off to their own devices and he goes to check on Tiffany's uh, charred remains. And he gives it a good poking, as you do. Just enough to wake her up so that she can give birth. And this was the other... I mean, this movie knows a way to end. Yeah. Because my audience was screaming at the top of their lungs. Just the... the Sam. Could not believe what they were seeing. It is the natural extension of what you've seen before but even then it is so outrageous we were just left in awe yeah. and i still am it's incredible it's incredible that they were then able to pick it up from here no <laughs> I-, I remember walking out of the theater and being like well that's the end there's no way <laughs> there's no way they follow this movie up um also side note uh, did the i think the 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 pregnancy for tiffany is faster than the xenomorphs and alien like with the face huggers and all, like it, it is just what, like one night, like one day. Yeah. I mean, that's wild. Um, yeah, unless there's a longer journey that we're not aware yeah. of, but it's yeah. But you know, I, I, we don't know voodoo uh, physiology. It's a very complicated system, um, and so we're already dealing with magic. Uh, why not? So uh, that that leaves us um, to. At an end, unfortunately, we we might one day pick up where Glenn or Glenda yeah. uh, are revived. But uh, before we end our conversation about uh, Bride of Chucky, of course, we should play Choose Your Own Death Venture. And that is where, of the deaths that we witnessed here in this section of the movie, if you were forced to die that way, which one would you choose Oof. and why? Now, up, uh, for, up to bat for this section of the movie, we have... Um, Die in a water blood, a waterbed bloodgasm. Get shot in the head and shoved into the back of an RV. Be exploded by a semi truck. We already had uh, nails to the head, but guess what? It didn't kill you. So now you're going to shove those nails farther into mm-hmm. your face and get stabbed in the back at the same time, or you can just get. Uh, shot. There's a lot of people shot. Yeah, here. there's three, um, right? I think they're the, the yeah. two in the RV and then the one, the grave digger, right? The grave digger. Yeah. So, uh, you know, Michael, you're our guest. You get to go first. Yeah. I, I, what do you say? I, I got, you know, obviously, if I don't want to feel any pain, I don't want the, the, the turmoil. I mean, no one, unless you got to be a real fucking sadist or masochist to like choose Warren's death. That is just torture. <laughs> I, I think I got to go with the, gra- the grave digger. Convenient. Um, you're already in a grave. You get to be great buried next to like the most notorious serial killer of, like of that universe. Um, mm-hmm. maybe I could, uh, you know, get some, some TV action going on there because it's part of the huge, uh, press. I- I'm yeah. liking that. Or 
I get to be the first Final Destination quote death. So I think it's a toss yeah. up between the two of those. Well, you got to choose. Uh, I, have, all right, we, it's not. General. I'm going with the grave digger to... then, because I, I, I think okay. I think the the explosion is is too terrifying. I think getting hit by a car would hurt too much. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right, Gina. What say no, you? I actually am going to go with getting hit by a truck because I, I do think your lights are going to go out real quick. Like you'll yeah. like you know, you'll see that truck coming and then just you know good night. You, you, you won't you won't feel anything. I mean, I don't envy the task of the person who's going to have to clean me up but that won't be my problem <laughs> i'll be ascending to heaven with my with my really wings and my and my harp yeah <laughs> for sure for sure um i you know i'm gonna go with a more grisly death here i'm gonna go with the water blood the waterbed uh, blood gasm first off I, my body gets to be found by kathy and jimmy big fan yeah. always wanted to meet her this might not always be the way i thought about it but you know what beggars can't be choosers Secondly, I'm getting five hundred dollars out of the deal, and I get to make it with uh, Margot Kidder's daughter. Yeah, which is so. Uh, I say that's a win-win-win. Uh, I'm totally going that direction. I think that's that's a great response. I, in hindsight, I, I, uh, I, I do. I question my actions now. Well, you know what? That's that's the choice. Yeah. Once you've made the choice, you kind of have to stick with yeah. it, regardless of the circumstances. <laughs> Or the repercussions. Uh, but before we go, Michael, where can people uh, hear and read more from you? Uh, you can find me at Consequence of Sound. Uh, we got a lot of uh, stuff uh, planned for June. I think in July we're going to be celebrating some blockbusters. Um, the next episode I'll be on for Halloweenies is the final chapter. I promise that I'm going to be on all the Tommy Jarvis chapters for the Halloweenies uh, run. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're finishing up Dolores Claiborne on uh, Losers Club, and we'll be going into Nightmares and Dreamscape. So uh, busy summer for horror. Um, yes. So exciting then. Yes, I, I really recommend Losers Club for King fans. I, I find it delightful, and uh, I really enjoy the reread along with you guys. Oh, thanks so much. Uh, I've, I really enjoy it. Okay, Gina, uh, where can people see and hear more from you on these here internets? I am a writer over at The Spool. That's spool.net. Um, I do uh, movie and TV reviews. Uh, some of my recent reviews have included um, the Shutter movie uh, V, which is very, uh, very good and yeah. very, very creepy. Um, I've also reviewed The Wretched, which, because of our bizarre circumstances that we're in right now, is an independent horror film that is somehow also the number one movie at the box office right now, <laughs> because that is all that is playing anywhere. Um, it is apparently getting it's a, ruling it, the it, drive-ins. It is apparently getting a robust run in on the drive-in circuit, but you should see it. It's very good. I, I would I would recommend it regardless of that. Um, and I am on Twitter under porcelain seven two. Yes, uh, do it today, people. Check it out. Of course, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Email us at killbykillpod at gmail.com. Rate and review us on iTunes. It's how we're seen and heard by more people. We appreciate when you do it. So for myself, for Gina, and for Michael, bye-bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.